Welcome to the Axis Effect podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller with the Axis Effect, and I'm super excited to be here with a good friend of mine, Raf Etchmendia, one of those world-renowned, I guess I want to say white white hat, or I want to say like security expert around the world. Oh my God, Ralph, I just give you so many titles when I talk about you, but you are literally one of the most world-renowned hackers, ethical hackers, security guys, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, people call it cybersecurity expert. That's the professional term, right? Um, <laughs> the professional um, term. I always call you my ethical hacker. You could turn on a microwave from another country. It's just absolutely amazing. I haven't had you on the show in a while. I know we're catching up on the personal side. Super happy to see you. I'm so glad you're happy. I know you're in so many layers of everything we talk about from music to security, but you actually were also the security expert on Oliver's movie Snowden. I know you have big projects, underground, secret, a lot of stuff. And like since I've talked to you, you have started your own security firm cybersecurity for protection, you said reputation management, just security in general, hacking and stuff. Talk to me a little bit about this. I always say the ethical hacker, like a white hat, where they do, they work for the government, they do stuff for good. But is there really such a term as ethical hacker or a white hat, or is it really just all cybersecurity layers now? Well, I mean, the, the, the terminology of white hat actually comes from the Westerns movies, right? So you had the, the white hat was the good guy, right? And the black hat was the bad guy. And that's that's sort of where that term, terminology come from. We've used the terms like, you know, gray hat. I have said in the past, I believe that most people are gray. They're not black or white yeah. in the sense of, of their ethics and, and morality. And I've met very few people in within my industry who I could purely say are white hat, right? It's a lot easier to say that, that, that I've met black hats, right? Because it's it's a matter of intent. And, and again, that goes back to, you know, sort of people's morals and ethics when it comes to how to use skill sets. And, and, you know, hacking is not a crime. Hacking is a skill. It's what you do with the skill. Exactly. That could, that could be a crime. And then the whole ethical hacking terminology sort of, you know, just took on uh, maybe about 20 years ago. And the whole the ethical hacker thing happened because for, for about seven years, I was doing training. I wrote the materials that became certifications and in the area of cybersecurity penetration testing or offensive security. And then there was actually a student in the class that, that, that said, oh, you know, he asked them so questionable questions about the use of these skills. Uh, can I hack my girlfriend? Can I hack my taxes? Can I hack things like work or school or things like that? And, you know, my, my response was a very ethical one. And, and then he said, oh, so you're like the ethical hacker. And there happened to be a reporter in the room. And that reporter wrote it as... So the ethical hacker. And, and, and it's followed you hacker. everywhere with the run the word. But you are truly one of the top cybersecurity experts globally. I mean, I, you've done such amazing stuff. I mean, and I know we always talk about this. There's been so much, so much going on since the pandemic in general. You know, people are getting smarter. They're getting more computer savvy. We'll use the word hacking. Like you said, it's just a skill set. What you do with it is up to each individual, but it's gone so much savvier where the smarter the technology gets, the smarter these hackers are getting when and everything. I mean, is there any good way? I mean, there's anytime you go online, I feel and putting your name somewhere in a field, 
you're responsible for being hacked because you're giving so much information into the internet. Is that true? I mean, cause I always feel like when we talked last, you're like, you are responsible for your own. Cause we go on, we fill out credit card information. We go on Amazon, we buy stuff. There's always a, a digital trail, a fingerprint, no matter what we yeah, do. And that's, that's a great lead into a couple of things. So one was, I recently did a TEDx talk in Miami, which is called Hacked. And really the, the, the focus of the talk was around privacy. And you have, you know, I recommend anyone watching this to check it out because, you know, I had 15 minutes and that's not a lot of time from what I'm used to in doing a keynote speech to talk about something that's really very complicated, which is, which goes back to the issue of privacy, right? And identity. And, uh, you know, one of the things I, I mentioned throughout this is that, you know, you need to be the hacker and not the hacked. You're neither the hacker or you're the hacked. And again, that doesn't mean that the hacker is hacking others. The hacker just tends to have to have more knowledge of what they can and cannot do for themselves. If you have that kind of knowledge, and most likely you're going to be in, in a much more secure situation for yourself. But the definition of privacy, because that's really what it goes to when you're saying about the amount of information that we put online or the, the amount of information that is online about us is something that you have to define. The truth is there is no global agreement that says this is what privacy means online, right? In fact, there isn't even that for physical, forget digital. Even in the physical world, we don't have an agreed upon thing for privacy. You know, there are places in the world where, you know, using the bathroom, which you're not doing anything wrong, right? But we all have to do it. Some have stalls and some don't. There are still parts of the world that are okay to walk into a room where everyone can see each other, right? Because in that place and within that culture, it's, it's agreed upon that, that, that even that is not entirely a private space, right? There's this misconception that we think that we have the right to privacy. And this idea of a right is also a huge misconception. We have no rights. But everybody feels like in the, like the privacy is because I'm on I'm Apple user all the time. And it, now we do apps on the privacy. They've changed the laws. Do you, you have to click, do not track me. Do not, you're not allowed to track me at third party apps. People feel, and I, I, I know different cultures around the world, but at the end of the day, people feel they have a right to their privacy. And I feel like there's people that are on their phone. Oh, I can't talk to you. I don't want to assist because of privacy. Somebody's always listening in. You know, I, I don't deal with that. I don't care if somebody's listening in, then they have a lot of really great information, but it does nothing like I would ever say anyways, but I don't worry about people. Oh, big brother, the government, you should never say something over your cell phone or a text. I mean, I think I just don't care as much about a conversation we're having, but there's a lot of people who feel the privacy there. And you know, some of these, we know these, everybody knows somebody who won't really say certain things. They won't talk to you over the phone, for example, and you know, about somebody may have, you know, Hey, I buy expensive guns and I sell them reputable person or certain thing about cars. Some people are just very, very my privacy on and offline. And is there any truth to that privacy? Well, you said, we don't really have, you just said, we don't really, have privacy it's it's kind of like a gray area because we don't we don't have a right to privacy but do we really have a right to our own conversations and what we're doing when we're on a cell phone or when we're texting or what we're doing over the internet the perception is that we do but privacy is truly an illusion really um absolutely again only you can create privacy all of these services that you use including your cell phone and social right, media your cell phone service, which we don't use as a phone much anymore, let's face yeah. it, 
which is an, is an internet device. It's a computer at the end of the day. And all of the services, all of the platforms that we use are what? Publicly accessible. Yeah. So how do you expect privacy in a public place? So if you were to put it into, into physical terms, right? If you go to the park, are you in public? Yes. Do you expect privacy while you're at the park? No. No. So what makes you think this is any different in the park? Because a park is a platform where you can run, where you can look at the birds, in the case of social media, where you can look at other birds. It's the same thing. Yet you're thinking that you expect that you should have some level of privacy from a public service. This is not a private service. Yeah, I don't follow social media because I know like my accounts are all on private Instagram, Facebook, but I semi still tried to hack in or somebody for some. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you have the the check mark that says private. The platform is public. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter what you think it's private because at the end of the day, there's going to be, there is not just someone, but many ones who still have access. Right? Oh yeah, I, 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 I tell clients people this all the time, and I, I've seen it. It's like somebody said, "Oh well, it's no big deal." I thought it was funny. I go, but perception is reality, and what you posted, you remember, everything is public, and what you post. And what my big thing is, you don't air your dirty laundry, even though you think your social media is private and you could post things. It is still public, and it could it, it, anybody could get in to. And I had somebody who snuck into my Instagram who was a fake account and. I'm pretty good about saying no to certain people. You know, I came back in a bit because they copied all my photos, sent it to somebody I was dating. And it's just like, it wasn't anything bad. It was just my selfies and travel stuff. But there is no privacy out there. So you just have to always be careful. And if you don't want your photo or yourself anywhere, then you just shouldn't have a social media account. You're never going to be private. If you want to be truly secure, then you're not connected. Yeah. Right? You can't be connected to anything. Can you have a... A secure phone that you that you buy from you know commercially, like an iPhone or whatnot. Sure, you can if you don't connect it to anything ever. And then, how good is it? I mean, that's the whole thing. Is technology is here to provide? It's supposed to be providing us right with services that are uh, that are making our world easier. We want and, information and, at our yeah. fingertips. We want connection, but you're connecting everything outside of your personal bubble where it's pri- where it's not private anymore. Well, and yes, and it's to such a degree that, you know, it used to be that you could say that, you know, technically speaking, the the opposite of physical is the word virtual, but that's not true. Our physical world is entirely run by our virtuality. As I've said, you don't exist in a physical world anymore. You actually exist in a virtual world. if, If someone was to directly attack you and sort of make you disappear digitally, you wouldn't actually have the ability to do anything. You can take money out. You can't buy anything. You can't move. You can't do anything because everything is now tied to a computer. So the reality is we do live in virtual reality. That's not something you put glasses on for. We already live in a virtual reality. So the idea that, and again, there's, if you wanted to say, I'm going to be completely off the grid, you could go live in a mountain and be a mountain man or woman, right? And not be connected to anything. That, but that's the only way, truly, that you can operate in, in today's world without being connected in some way. So to your question earlier about some of the things I'm doing. So for the last, I don't know, 10 years, I found myself having to take care of what I call high net worth individuals and or very famous individuals and their issues and problems with being online. Okay. And again, all of them have to be online. And the issues are quite different, but they're not quite different than at the end of the day, the same issues that affect all of us. 
the main difference is that they, they can afford to do something about it. And that's the unfortunate and yet fortunate thing for them, but unfortunate thing for most of us, right? Is this is a very expensive issue to deal with if you're caught on the side of, of your name, uh, your likeness, or anything thereof being used online in a way that's negative or defamatory. The cost around incident response, around all of the different things that we can call this are, are huge. So for example, that's what I was saying. One of the things I do now is I very much just uh, have a, a business where I focus almost strictly on very high net worth individuals. If their net worth is not $500 million, they don't even talk to me. I'm not even going to tell you what to do. Because the truth is, you have no idea how expensive it actually is to be able yeah. to address it. Now, when you think about it from the other side is one, just one tiny incident online could cost the CEO of a company their job and can affect the stock price of a public company to such a degree that it's in the billions of dollars overnight, right? So. All of a sudden now this, this issue of, of privacy, reputation management, and an incident response or disaster recovery in some cases becomes something that most people in those ranges really have to deal with, much like they deal with the insurance. Like they have insurance for their car and they have insurance. Now they have to have insurance for their digital identity. And, and their digital identity is not different from their physical identity. They have no physical identity. Everyone's identity today is entirely digital, right? So... It is an issue that unfortunately, like, you know, most people have these issues all the time. And they say, well, I call the police, I go to the FBI, all kinds of issues. And the truth is, is in most cases, nothing will happen because it really takes your own NSA. It takes your own team of people who are very expensive to be able to address a lot of these issues. And you got to uh, find you got to find the root of it, because it, if people are so Hackers are so tech-savvy that they are taking your identity. They're, like you said, that one mistake. You've The time to hunt down where the source came from, the root of it, to find it, to get rid of it, to block it. I mean, it is so time-consuming. There's people who've had their ID stolen, their social securities, their credits ruined. It, you can report it as much as you want. I've had some friends who've been in that situation. They reported it. And they still have to deal with it. It's going to follow them everywhere. Oh, it's going to leave. And it's it'll, like, it'll deal with you for life. I mean, the, the issue of yeah. identity theft in the way that you're talking about it. But then I'm not even talking about that kind of issue of identity. It's, it's more of, you know, you're talking about uh, families. These are names that most of us know because their families are multi-bazillionaires. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you have, you know, now. Themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You have a teenager. You have several teenagers within this family who are on Instagram and, and Snapchat and TikTok. They post one thing without realizing what they're posting and they know where they are. Next yeah. thing you think, next thing you know, you're being kidnapped. Yeah. So, I mean, the impact of these things are not, are way beyond what we, you know, tend to normally think about. And, you know, as I mentioned in my TED talk, one of the things I said was that, you know, most people say, well, I have nothing to hide and I don't really care about all this stuff because I really yeah, have but nothing you to do. hide. You and that, and no, that, that is, that's the vulnerability. Your vulnerability is that thought that you think you have nothing to hide because we all have something to hide and the hiding has nothing to do with it being wrong. Like I said, we all have to go to the bathroom. We all have to take a shit. There's nothing yeah. wrong with taking a shit. So it, the bottom line is that it's, it's really something that, that we don't give it thought until it happens. And then when it happens to you, you don't really understand the impact it's going to have until it has an impact. And it's not as, as simple as it being directly financial. The issue of identity is that you could pretty much just trash somebody 
in such ways online that, you know, their own family will look at them different. It is, right? it is so, so easy, though, no matter who you are to be. You could. It's so easy to destroy somebody online. And, you know, we are a PR firm. We are pretty tech savvy. And I'm cautious about what I post because I have the agency. We have the podcast. We have an awards. We have a lot, you know, high profile clients and a lot that we're doing. I don't care about my conversations on the phone. If somebody keeps saying, oh, but you shouldn't say that word. You shouldn't talk about certain subjects because somebody's listening. I don't care about that because that's just basic. If I want to talk about sports, fashion, clothes, I can give a shit. If I joke with one of my friends, do I think, you know, Allison? Yeah, I just feel like when I see something, I should be the one hired to be an undercover James Bond 007. And I crack up. Like if they're listening, let them hear it. My issue is, like you said, the online. If I wanted a digital detox, that I just want to be off social, be off email, just take a break, which I'm trying to do in the next few days. But like you said, my bank cards, I'm still going to the gym. I'm still out and about. I'm still, I'm, I still have a trail there. I still, I'm leaving a footprint no matter what I do. And I love Ralph that you said, we are literally living in virtual worlds of everything we do. We're just like moving through it because everything we do leaves a trail or a footprint. And I feel like people don't, they have that misconception. You know, if you said, it's not just glasses. We're not just in a virtual world with AR, VR, we're gamers. Everything you do is traceable, trackable. Your driver's license, your car, you're driving on the road, your, your um, license plates, anybody could see you, they could track you down. And it is scary. And like you said, to these very, very, the upper, upper 3% of the wealthiest individuals, I do see it. That is expensive because like you said, you have children, you have people, all over the place, but their form of communication nowadays to everybody is your phone. It is social. It is what am I doing? Where am I going? What's going on? So I do see where you're coming from. There's no, it's a tough area because you have to now protect families and wealth where you got kids all day long on TikTok. So yeah, and- yeah exactly. For me, it's a matter of social responsibility and I'll, and obviously being yeah. able to do it in in a way, again, I wish I, I it, it allows me to also do more in many different ways for those who are less wealthy. Let's put it that way. But, it, you know, and those are something I could pick and sort of pick at when it comes to me and say, OK, well, then I'll do this pro quo. Right. But if time allows, but it, it still allows me to uh, operate. Right. Because the truth is, look, we have to embrace all this. Right. The thing is, is, is this idea of talking about all this stuff like. Oh, but these guys are spying on you and these guys, you're the one giving it to them. Okay. I'm sorry. That's the truth. We are all giving all of this data. We are the ones giving it. They're not stealing it from us. And then the, the, the issue becomes, you know, controversially, I've said this, who's the thief? Is the thief, without mentioning platforms, is the thief a tech company that you hit, I agree to that you didn't read? Or is the thief the person who acts that tech company and takes your data? Okay. So, I love that you said that because we are on a podcast. I mean, everybody knows podcasts are all done nowadays over Zoom because everybody's traveling globally. If, if we're gonna if we're gonna really break that minutiae, we, we have our screen on the little light on on the video. We, we're on Zoom's platform. Do we really own? Yes, I own the podcast. We own all of this, the brand, but anybody could come in, you know, and listen in, hack in. I mean, we're gonna distribute the podcast on every single channel. It is public. So, I mean, we live in a world where we want people to see and hear what we're doing. So we've got to understand and take that as I'm responsible 
for everything I do publicly. So yeah, there is an area where we have to be a little bit cautious of how far is too far. If I'm going to be hacked or you're going to be hacked, we're already hackable because you're speaking in public. You do podcasts, you do interviews. We run, we're in our 200th episode, our 10th season. That's a lot of hours of content of visual and identities. There's no protection unless, like you said, you are completely off the grid and you don't even know how to, just you don't even own a computer or a piece of electronics. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you know, there's some funny words, right? But I learned in the world of hacking and that's exploits and exploitation, right? In the world of hacking, an exploit is what we use to hack you. The vulnerability is the problem. The exploit is how you take advantage of the problem. But interestingly enough, that word exploitation, I also learned in Hollywood from lawyers. Yeah. And it's called how do we exploit our brand. Yet in Hollywood, that means how do we make money on it? Yeah. And which to me was a really kind of like, wait, that you're using a bad word, right? Because exploitation is a bad thing, wouldn't it be? But it's not. So that's the whole thing is, is we're talking about living in a world of exploitation. The, I think that's really the core of the issue here is that some of us may look at exploitation as a good thing, and some of us may look at exploitation as a bad thing. Well, it's like and, the information highway is public to everybody now. Just jump on and get off when you want to. It's the only way to get somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and it's going to be exploited. And that's what I was saying. Who are the, you know, we tend to put criminality into those who hack some social platform. But is the social platform itself not potentially criminal? Because you don't know what you're agreeing to. And you don't know how it's being used. I can guarantee you that you wouldn't agree for your data to be used the way they're using it. In fact, the way they're using it makes them more money than all the criminals put together. So, again, it goes back to that perception of the word exploitation. Is exploitation a good thing or a bad thing? And it really comes up to you to define that, as well as privacy. It is up to you to define that. Now, if if you walk in this virtual reality world that we live in, knowing that anything you put out is available to everyone, no matter what little option you chose to be private. Pretend that those, while those little options may be there, they don't really exist. Okay, now walk that way. Now move that way. Pretend that nothing you say could be private, no matter how private Apple pretends to make it, no private any company pretends to make it, or any government pretends to say, no matter what the laws, because the laws and the regulations are always 10 years behind the technology. You know, and the technology is years behind the criminality of how it's being used. So at the end of the day, I think we have to define what we, you know, how we move. But with, to your point was, I think we are becoming more savvy. Yeah. And and that's a good thing. And that's what this is all about. And that's why I like speaking publicly as many different events and conferences and things of the nature as possible, because I tend to look at the audience coming into these events, knowing about the audience put things in terms that they can understand. And sometimes, you know, it's healthcare. They, there's no more dangerous place in healthcare for data to be modified. Not a bank, not your social media, healthcare. Somebody modifies the decimal point somewhere in the healthcare system and you die. That's real, right? Uh-huh. But they don't have the budget to banks have. They don't have the attention or, you know, get the coverage that you get from Hollywood or anything else when there's any kind of little hack, right? but it's the most critical to our lives, right? To our physical lives. So, you know, it's really just a matter of us as we become savvier is always, you know, to be 
knowledgeable of the fact that everything is that we say and everything that we do can very easily be exploited. And we've seen how well, in a positive way, that's worked for many social influencers, for many teenagers. They're exploiting technology in a way that 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 is beneficial to them. And I do think uh, it's scary on the healthcare side because you you know it's not to put fear into people. It's just educating them on be cautious what you put out there and understand what's what. And this is what, you know, and you know, you follow off all the whole meta thing of privacy and Facebook and, you know, they're selling your information for brands and sales. And I love when I see people going off on this tangent, this whole triad on social media and their feeds about privacy and how meta has no right taking their privacy and how, you know, it's just, it's messed up and that, you know, meta shouldn't be doing this and that there's all these things you should be doing. So they don't have access to your data and personal information. But meanwhile, you're on their platform ranting and raving about exactly what you're bitching about. And yes, you can put everything on privacy, but then in the day they control, I mean, let's be honest. I don't care how anybody slice it up any way you want to. You don't control your Facebook, no matter how much privacy and how issues it is, you are choosing to be on a public platform. And I may only have it, it, 5, thousand people that I want to see. It's me. not your Facebook. It's yeah. Facebook's Facebook. It's, it's, their platform. <laughs> it's, not. it's like, it's like, it's, it's yeah. my house. Is right there on a block with 20 billion people in a city, in a town, in a, you don't own, you don't have a fence around you and a bubble around you. It's just this is the issue I see on social a lot. Either accept it, be cautious what you post or don't post. I mean, exactly. It's, 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 the, it's, it's, the, you know? it's the person who's walking around with a camera, right? At the club or at the event or whatever. I mean, their phone. I'm not even talking about a professional camera. And you jumping in front of it and going, I didn't give you permission to film me. Yeah. You jumped in front of the camera. Oh, you walked right you know through I mean? my so, photos in a photo bomb and that photo went public and you look like crap or you were smoking a cigarette and nobody knows you're smoking. You cannot keep your stuff. You could tell somebody, don't ever post photos of us. Don't ever post a photo of me. Well, then maybe you should not have a social media account because anybody who goes after you, if they're smart enough, could figure out what you're doing. And I love when people say, hey, I'm marked safe from an earthquake or people just, you know, hey, I want to reach out to all my friends and family. The best way is through social. You are choosing to communicate through a public platform, a technology that you don't own, that you have no control of. And to your point about something you said earlier is the word fear. The way to respond to this is not with fear. Yeah. Okay. And the way to address this is not with fear. The, the ways to address this is with knowledge, right? Usually you only fear what you don't understand and what you don't know. Yeah. And so when you see someone responding to this with the, the fear that, oh, this is going to happen and now, you know, this is going to happen. And it's always a negative thing that's going to happen. That is certainly not the way. So that's the first thing I'll say is breathe. Send back, breathe and learn about what it is that you want to learn about, that you want to do better, right? That you want to, to your point, Sarah, I work heavily with public relations agencies because most of these issues tend to be a public relations issue, identity yeah. management, whether it's a company or an individual, right? So it's not just a matter of, oh, can you make some technology magic happen? It's also a matter of what is it you're putting out there and how are you putting it out there yeah. and where are you putting it out there, right? So a lot of that is that, whether it's for somebody who's rich and famous or whether it's for just for the average Joe, it's the same issue at the end of the day. And to respond with it by fearing it is not really the, the way to respond to it. Remember, technology is here to work for us, not for I, us to work for technology. I always say, I always, like, during, especially during the pandemic, 
when we started the podcast, I had a book that went out. I'm always like lean into technology. Do not be afraid of it. Lean into it. Use it. This is where we're at. There's no way around it. And like, you know, we have a client who's, I feel like their credit cards or their bank accounts always being hacked. Uh, you know, their, their credit cards are everywhere. They're well-known CEO. So, you know, I get it happens on the banking side. There's nothing we can really do about that. But, you know, I also feel a lot of from the PR side is people who are making dumb decisions who aren't business savvy and they're trusting people they shouldn't have their names out there. They're signing off bad contracts, giving out their brand in perpetuity. We actually have a client in a bad situation can I even figure out still unravel what happened? But they had an attorney, the attorney on case was traveling out of the country who had nothing, didn't know anything about technology, approve an agreement. They don't think they even looked at it. Clients signed off their entire brand name rights and perpetuity. Somebody could just destroy them. They don't even have a legal case to stand on. So it also comes down to who you're working with, who do you trust and what are you signing? No, and that's exactly it. I mean, that's, that's the number one. When it comes to the issue of security, privacy, and all this, you have to realize that, unfortunately, the cybersecurity industry as a whole has operated on selling fear. Yeah. It works. Okay? You download the antivirus and pay every year because you fear you're going to get an antivirus. Not because you trust yeah. that you will. You know? And ultimately, that's that's the biggest problem. That's why I've moved more and more into a position of me being able to control sort of who I give services to and how, because going in the direction of continuing to sell fear, we're not in the business of fear, really. We're in the business of trust. Same same thing with the publicists, to be honest with you. You're in the business of trust. You have yeah. to be trusted to be able to do what you do well. And in that trust is where you get positive results. But you know, too much of this industry of, of cybersecurity and technology is based on fear. I mean, look at AI and all of the discussions around AI and AI and AI, AI, with a lot of dropping on AI, when really technologically speaking, we're talking about machine learning. We're not talking about artificial intelligence. Yeah. It's a great marketing term. But technologically speaking, we're talking about automation. My joke is, it's not AI, it's IA. It's automation. We've been doing it since we had computers. Yeah. Right? In fact, we've been doing it before computers with machines, right? In the industrial era, we were automating what humans did. So we're automating further what humans do now that we have computers. But at the end of the day, it's what we allow automation to be done to. And garbage in is garbage out. So if we give AI a bunch of garbage, what's going to come out is a bunch of garbage. So at the end of the day, don't forget that this is ultimately, these are tools that enable humanity to do more or less. Yeah, and no, I do love that artificial intelligence. Is it really intelligence? Or if it's artificial, you got to look at who's feeding it artificial information that's damaging to others. So, I mean, it's just like you said, it's, it's a trust thing. We have technology. Technology is getting smarter. People are getting smarter. It's just you need to be smarter to protect your identity. I know there's things that are just out of your control and which is why we have cybersecurity to keep. Well, and, and here's, here's an interesting thing, though, that, that, that I'll tell you, Sarah. There's a, a sort of a graph I use in some of my presentations about the level of knowledge that a hacker you to have needed to have in the 1980s before the Internet. OK, was way up here the technological knowledge you needed to have at a deep level to execute a very simple hack 
at a technological level, the hack was cracking a password. That's not hard in technology terms. But the knowledge of the person who had to do that was way higher. And now what you've had happen because technology has evolved in the ways that it has made it easier. Now a 12-year-old can do something extremely complex because he doesn't really have to know the details and the root of how all that works. Now he just has a tool that says fire, right? And the tool will fire and it'll do what it does and you'll gain access. So interestingly enough, it's not entirely to say that we're getting smarter because the truth is, is the hacker isn't any smarter now than they were 30 years ago. In fact, the hacker was smarter 30 years ago, but the complexity of the attack was way lower than it is now. While the complexity is higher, we have so much technology, so many tools, and it's made it so much easier, starting with the most basic thing, which is bandwidth. You know, when I got started with computers, we had a phone line. You know, if I wanted to, you know, scan a hundred IP addresses, and this is during the internet days, it would take me hours to do that. You can do that now in seconds. So you see what I mean? It's very easy for people to, to look at this today and say, oh, well, you know, people are becoming somewhat more savvy. But the one thing I will say is this. Don't forget, and I think this is a good place to leave it off until the next podcast, is don't forget, you know, we have a saying in, in hacking, which is, you know, you have software, you have hardware, and you have wetware. And the weakest link is in wetware. Software, obviously, is the stuff you use. Hardware is the computer we're on. Wetware is us. We're wet on the inside. So we are the vulnerable ones. It's not this. Yes, there's vulnerabilities in these devices and in this software because we built it. And so, of course, it's going to have some vulnerabilities. But the most vulnerable in these in this chain of, of three things is us. We are the easiest to fool. We are the easiest to exploit. So the more aware, the more aware you are of what you're using, how you're using it, the less vulnerable you are to exploitation in a bad way. I, I know we're going to run out of time here, and I, I, I could go on for hours with you. It's so great talking to you. I just have a few quick questions for you. And I understand the hardware, the software, and you're making such valid points. And I do love that you're out talking and educating people more and more than ever on the subject. But, you know, but then there was the, just give me your pen. Like then there was the blockchain. People are saying the blockchain, Bitcoin, it's so secure. They're off the grid. You know, digital banks can't get to it. They don't have any idea. Is there really that sense of trust and security in the blockchain, you know, and the pipelines and people with Bitcoin now that are all state. There's a lot of Bitcoin purists. They're sovereign to the state. They don't want the government. They don't want to be in banks. They just want to keep that off the grid so nobody has access to it. Okay, this this there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. Yeah. Okay, because some of some of the things you're talking about have to do with people's beliefs and political leanings and so on and so forth. The other has to do with technology itself. And whether that technology itself, okay, so let's take something like blockchain. Uh, technically, it is solid. I wouldn't say unhackable because that's not fair to say of anything. I mean, the math is unhackable, but we have, you know, the emergence of things like quantum computing, which will make all cryptography useless. So even that cryptography will become useless with quantum computing. But the math is, is solid, right? In the sense that, you know, you can't really hack the product, the product of the blockchain, in in most cases being applied to cryptocurrency. That's not the only place to apply blockchain. Blockchain is very, in fact, it should be applied in many other areas that were not, like voting. That should be blockchain-based. 
Like a whole other uh, podcast. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like healthcare records that should be blockchain. But money is the currency is the one thing everybody seems to understand. And so that's, what's taken off as, as far as its application. However, I know dozens of people who've been hacked and it's not because they hacked blockchain. It's not because they hacked the cryptocurrency itself. It's because they hacked the individual. Yeah. Dozens of people. And I mean, I know, uh, and this is actually pretty public. He's the CEO of a bank in Estonia. He's actually made it public. Anyone who can help him crack his wallet because he he forgot his password. Guess how much that wallet is worth now? Hundreds of millions. Yeah, but if you lose those passwords, there's no way to crack into that. So he's been looking for hackers to help him crack it for seven years now that I've known him. Nobody. It's just not doable because it's just not doable the way, again, the math is unhackable. You know what I mean? There might be other elements in in the way that the wallet was created and what application created the wallet. You might find a flaw and a vulnerability in that might ultimately lead you there. But you know, the guy's out several hundred million dollars because he forgot a password. So just that same way, I know dozens of people who've had their crypto wallets stolen. That's not a flaw in the technology. That's a flaw in the people. Yeah, they always say, yeah, it's why you got to be careful what you keep on your computer, what you scribble down and everything. Yeah, I mean, I have my Bitcoin wallets and stuff. And, you know, I have all the passwords written down because I'm not going to remember 12 passwords, random keywords. And if I forget it, I mean, I'm just screwed either way. But I just, I, I do love what you said, Rafael, and end this up. I do love that you're saying blockchain is such, it's a good tool. It should be used more, like you said, in healthcare and other areas where it's not in banking. And in your opinion, are we heading in that direction in the next, like, say, five to 10 years? Or do you see this being something where we're, you know, everything is kind of veers off based on where the money trail is based in politics? There's so many reasons why we move through life the way we do. But do you see us becoming more of a secured, I guess, world since there's a lot of openings like healthcare and banking that's not on a blockchain, that's not protected? like it should? I, I, I think so. I think so. And I think it, it really goes back to us becoming more socially responsible. Too much of our world operates on just purely a profit. And if it makes a profit, it doesn't matter if it's necessarily bad. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard of this and, you know, several of your of your viewers or, or listeners have heard of this. And, you know, there's been many, many times where great ideas just get shelved because yeah. an industry will, will be killed in the process, even if it's better for the world. So I think, but I think in general, I think so, because people have pushed and it's become more something that's kind of come to the top on people's minds is the issue, these issues around security. And, and it really is, you know, not an issue of security. I, I say this in, in many of my talks, we don't, we may say we want security, but that's not true. What we really want is safety, right? Because safety, there's, an, there's a level of risk. There's a level of risk in walking outside. There's a level of risk in doing business. There's a level of risk in anything and everything we do. But understanding that risk, right, and ultimately operating in a way that makes the risk something safer for us to deal with, right? Like a car, right? The, the first cars didn't have seatbelts. They certainly didn't have, you know, airbags. Yeah. But they do now, right? Because we've gone through enough to say, okay, we're going to make the car safer. It doesn't mean that an accident can't happen. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean it's, it can't get killed even with the with those safety tools. But I think that it's sort of like the car. Right. I think technology and these issues around cybersecurity are really around cyber safety. The word security is I often joke that if you go to the club and you're in line to get into some club in L.A. or 
in Berlin or wherever, the last person you want to deal with is security. You don't want to go through security if you don't have to. And if there was a side door that your buddy came behind you and said, hey, you know, you can go through the side and there's a guy there named Safety and he's wearing a blue shirt that says Safety, you'll have no problem telling, asking Safety where the bathroom is, but you're not going to walk up to security at a club. You don't want to deal with security because that psychologically, that's what I'm saying. The truth is we don't want to deal with security, but we really want in our lives the safety. And security is a component of safety, but there's other components to safety, like that something is available, right? Like back to where we started was, hey, you want to be off the grid, then nothing is available to you. Are you any safer? Can a bear not come out of the woods and kill you? You know what I mean? It's a matter of things have to be available. I mean, the worst thing that can happen in a hospital is that the healthcare system is not available, right? If you take that down, yet that is... In cybersecurity and hacking, that's the worst hack you can do. Meaning it has no skill is to take something down. That's just beating it up, right? It's, it's, it's not perceived as being a skillful attack, but it can have the worst damage, right? So safety means things have to be available to us. They have to have some level of security, some level of risk, you know? But ultimately, the outcome is that we, are, that we want to be safer. Not more secure, but safer. I absolutely love how you broke this down and explained this. It is just, it makes so much more sense of what we need to be aware of and how we need to move through this universe with all of our computers, phones, electronics. And I got one more question. So I just going to cut myself off because I have 20 of them. But the last one is like, given, you know, what we see in the news, all the politics, China, what's going on, Ukraine, Russia, I mean, around the world, what country in your opinion is the most advanced in technology when it comes to cyber safety and keeping people protected. Is there any area, because I know you're global, that is a little more ahead of us in the States or a little bit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the most advanced <laughs> country in the world that I have been to and still deal with is a little country and actually very close to Russia called Estonia. Estonia is the most advanced country I've ever seen. And, I, and I'll tell you, and I'll, I'll tell you this, and this is a good way to sort of ended office. I had a business there for three or four years and worked with the government. I worked with, you know, other entrepreneurs and CEOs. And uh, one of the guys I met through that was what they call the architect of the Estonian identity. Because in Estonia, everything is digital. And I mean everything. You are issued in a card, which would be in, in America, would be the equivalent of, say, your social security number. But that card is what you use in public transportation. That's the card you use to log into work if you have to check in in a physical timestamp. That's the card you use for everything, right? And yet they have a system online. Taxes are paid in almost real time. I can see how much your company paid in taxes. I can see how much is in your bank account for a company. All this stuff that would be unheard of in America, right? And the interesting thing, so it's very transparent, right? And they're using you know, technology in a very transparent way. And I thought, well, that's, hey, we, you know, in America, we'd say, oh, that's Big Brother. Big yeah, Brother's no watching yeah. everything. And so I had a, a sit-down talk with, with this guy who's the architect of the way they do identity in Estonia. And I said to him, yeah, Big Brother, blah, blah, blah. And he looked at me like, I, like, what? What do you mean? And he said, oh, oh. So you have to understand something. We're a country of 1.5 million people. The government works for us. We do not work for the government. They are public servants to us. So these systems are not Big Brother. They are us. These are our choices. 
And maybe it doesn't work so well for the U.S. because there are 300 million and above people. But here, if one, you know, with 1.5 million people, if 300,000 have something to say, the government has to react. They're not separate from us. They're public servants. They work for us. And that really made me have to think about that because to them, it did. It didn't compute, if you will, that there was that's somebody else, you know, that in any way it works against you, regardless of the politics, because the politics were different than the systems that provide public services. And all of these things, for example, you know, public transportation is free in Estonia. Healthcare is free in Estonia. You know, all of these different things, but they're all interconnected through one system, which you would think, whoa, isn't that a security risk? Okay, well. Yes and no, because their focus is on safety. So all of the security implementations and things that they've done are actually around making these things safer. So interestingly enough, it's probably one of the smallest countries in the world is the most advanced that I've ever seen. But one of the safest and one of probably the best ones to live in, given all the issues we have here with the fear of security, Big Brother, where and I love I lo- actually that is like the best story in our podcast. It's astounding that that's their mindset, but in their culture and given how they live, it is probably the easiest way to live safely. It really is. I mean, I, I, I would joke around and call it the Beverly Hills of the Baltics because the Baltic states had not, I mean, and this is a, a good way to, to, to leave it on is, you know, I spent time there and I looked at, it's just their mindset was so different. You know, when the Soviet Union broke up, Estonia was part of the Soviet Union. So here now you got nothing. You literally, they have no money. They have no nothing. They nothing, right? You just now have no infrastructure. You have nothing. And there's a famous quote from the first president of Estonia, which actually used to be a film director, interestingly enough. And the translation basically says, the situation is shit, and we're going to use that shit as fertilizer for our future. Now, that being said, Estonian programmers created a little program called Casa, which was like Napster. And yes, they were shut down by the music industry. And a few of those programmers went on to create a company called Skype and sell it for billions of dollars to Microsoft, creating, I think it was somewhere around 16 multimillionaires in Estonia who then created venture capital firms. Estonia currently has somewhere around 50 or upwards of 50 multi-billion dollar startups. A company of 1.5 million people has more than 50 multi-billion dollar technology startups. So it's in that mindset that even shit is something that could be used for good. And they they have even done that with the guys from Casa. You know, they were the lawsuits and, you know, where most of us would be like, oh, put your head under a rock and your life is over. No, they turned it around and said, well, what did we learn about this technology and created kind of what we're using here with Zoom? That that is takes, well, we always talk about leadership with the SEALs. I mean, it's not just an individual. It is an entire country that is showing tremendous leadership of what they've done and where they're going in Estonia, which is amazingly impressive. It is. When, when, when you when you could, I mean, a couple of things I'll tell you. All kids in Estonia have to learn, interestingly enough, music in school, even if they're never going to be musicians. And they have to learn coding. This is These are prerequisites in school. Yeah. Now, why is music important? Because it opens the way you think. And that is super important for anybody who's going to do any kind of business, even if you don't become a musician. And coding? Do we make computer coding a requirement in our schools in America? No. 
We have computer classes, but they're not. I mean, I, I met kids who are seven and eight years old doing the same thing that a startup would be doing, doing a hackathon for the weekend and then pitching their idea at eight years old. Yeah. To investors like that's unheard of in the U.S. Right. And in many other parts of the world. So it's kind of a very interesting place for sure. And uh, it's one to look at at some of the things that that they've done that work. And it doesn't mean that everything that they've done will work everywhere else. But again, because there's a lot of other factors. Again, there's this political issues there and all of the same issues that you would have anywhere else. But again, the things that they have implemented with technology in the name of making a safer and more productive social and economic you know, they're citizens. They, I think they've done very well. I think it is at the future of where we're going in technology and infrastructure. It is Estonia is definitely, and I've heard this a few times, one of the countries to look at of the right way to do stuff, which I just think is amazingly respectful given where they're located, what they go through on a daily basis. And Absolutely. So love having you on. Like, like, I don't talk to and catch up with you enough, but Rob, I know we have a lot of executives and there's a lot of people out there. I know you're on the circuit speaking. Is there a place, a website, uh, anywhere that people, public, while we're talking about safety, public place, people could go if they want to get a hold of you to speak or for any other reasons? I mean, most, I, most of my communications tend to happen on LinkedIn, to be honest, more than anywhere else, as far as professionally speaking. So LinkedIn is the place to easily find me and, you know, feel free to reach out. Yeah, love to. It was so good having you on. I'm um, thank you. I know we've been trying to get you on for a while. I know holidays have been crazy, but I do appreciate you taking the time so late in the evening, your time to hop on with me. It was great having you on again. Thank you. And I look forward to doing it again. You know, I, the more we can inform people and make them more aware and, and, and again, not, not make them fear technology, but ultimately make them embrace it and be the hacker, not the hacked. Yeah. It's all about education. This is so awesome. Rafa is Sarah Mill with Access Effect and Access Entertainment with Rafael Etchmendia. It's so good having you on, my favorite world-renowned hacker. I look forward to talking to you, catching up with you again. And everybody else, we'll see you in a week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Access Effect podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Access Effect podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit theaccesseffect.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.